Thong Earthlets. My name is Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 102nd episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode we're covering 2000 AD for August and September 1983, progs 330 to 333. I'm not impressed. Eat your heart at 102. 100 was dope. That's right. Uh, this week, Skiz beams up, Sam Slade starts his last case, Dread gets heavy, and a young man named Slane arrives on our show. Man, his last name is like, he's got like this cool first name, but his last name's like uh, McDougal or something. It's, it's Mac like Roth, a no- buddy. All right, just not what I was expecting. Eh, we'll see. Um, if you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, the Complete Case Files 7, Rogue Trooper Tales of New Earth 2, Robo Hunter, the, Dro- the Droid Files 2, Slain Warriors Dawn, The Complete Skiz, and the relevant time twisters are in the Complete Alan Moore Future Shocks. Awesome. So, Fox. Yes. Speaking <laughs> of that titular young fellow, let's go to... Thrill one slain. My favorite thing about this like starter image is that it's like him facing down a dinosaur, but up on the rock near like the moon or sun, maybe there's just like a person getting killed by trees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you look on the rocks, there you can see like a star field underneath the standing stones because it's like oh, a that's cool. entry to the past, you know. But anyhow, uh, script robot Pat Mills, art robots Angie Kincaid, and Massimo Bellardinelli letting robot Tom Frame. Time to kill a Timosaurus Rex, bro. That's right. And so it begins. The saga of slain Mac Roth of the Cesar, mercenary, cattle rustler, and battle smiter, who rose to become the legendary king of the tribes of the Earth Goddess. Man, I like how they specifically call out Cattle Rustler when all of the other things that we find out in the course of these four comics I mean, is so still, much cooler than rustling cattle. Nah, I mean, it's a big thing. Like, I was going to sort of, like, the best slain video game I can think of is King of Dragon Pass, which is this uh, basically, like, Stone Age um, clan simulator, which is an awesome game. Highly recommended. And okay. so much of that is stealing people's cows and stuff. It's a big deal. <laughs> um... <laughs> All right. But before we get started, I should mention two things about Slain, Fox. Uh, mm-hmm. The first thing is, like, you'll notice there's a dealie over the A in Slain. Um, mm-hmm. Technically, the way you pronounce it is, like, Slanya, but um, I'm not going to do that. Uh, go to hell with that. <laughs> His name's Slain. Um, All right. Uh, but the big thing, I should say, is that Slain has been in development since about 1981. Um, Holy shit. And this first comic that we're covering here is drawn by, is, you know, is written by Pat Mills and it's drawn by his then wife, Angie Mills. And it's oh. basically for the past like two years been bounced back and forth between them and 2000 AD creative just for a whole thing. You can read accounts about this in a, bu- in a, in a bunch of different books from people writing about this era. Uh, Thrill Power Overload, I think is a really good, really good coverage of it. As well as uh, the Mighty One by Steve McManus and uh, Be Pure, Be Vigilant, Behave by by Pat Mills himself. Um, and by back and forth, do you mean the, one of the most epic D and D campaigns ever devised by man? No, actually, I don't. Because the thing is, and, and you get a sense of this, especially I think from Thrill Power Overload, is that um, this pro- like this process was not a very well managed process. I guess. Mm. 
Um, it's sort of a combination of, of Kincaid sort of being professionally like a, a children's book illustrator. So she wasn't quite up to the, um, like the speed, I guess, of a day to day, like 2000 AD artist. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, just cause, you know, whatever, but also, and, and also I, I really get the sense that like, there's speed, but also just kind of a lot of just general hostility, um, just, just about this project in general from 2080 management, especially, or from 2080 editorial, I should say. Um, especially from art director Robin Smith, who even in like, um, who I feel like both McManus and, and Mills in, in, in their memoirs sort of are just kind of trying to be like, all right, like I'm, we're done with this. Like this is in the past. Let's not make a big deal about it. But in like mm. drill power overload, like Smith feels, sounds, seems like kind of a jerk about it. I guess <laughs> about really? things. Um, you know, whether you want to account that for, um, he, Felt like it was plagiarism or not, not, not plagiarism. I should say a nepotism having, um, P- Pat Mills's wife do like the first comic, the, the mm-hmm. first, the, the art for this story, or whether it's something more like, um, being sort of j- not like the, you know, this thing being sort of a boys club and not wanting a girl to do or a woman to do hard stuff. I can Bro. see arguments both ways. Sort of just the way. The way Smith himself tells the story in Thrill Power Overload makes, like, made me feel kind of oogie about it. I guess kind of talks about, <laughs> like, like hearing, like, him, like, having a discussion about deadlines with Pat Mills and hearing, like, Angie crying in the background and stuff. Oh my God. And, 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 and Pat's, and, uh, Mills is very, like, d- diplomatic about this stuff. And he says, like, look, there are conversations, but I don't think anybody cried about it. Like, let's be professional here, you know? So that, yeah, it's just like, it's not a good look. It's, it's a bad look, generally, I'd say. Um, for, for an otherwise what I would call great comic book. Yeah, coming I out really, so far. I really love the art in this story. I, I really like, um, like, uh, Angie Kincaid's work here. And, you know, also in Throw Power Overload, like, uh, Pat Mills talks a lot about wanting to keep creative control for the initial version of Slain, you know? Mm-hmm. He talks about, um, the differences between like when, when dread premiered and how, you know, the first dread was by McMahon instead of by Ascara. And it kind of led to, um, those guys sort of losing some creative control over the character and stuff. He really wanted to hold on to slain. Cause it's, some, it's, it's definitely, a, it's uh, like, it's definitely seems like a character that Mills is very protective of and is very, um, wants to stay in control of, which is, I mean, I mean, tellingly, like to this day, every single slain story has been written by Pat Mills, you know, in a, okay. um, as opposed to say Dread or Rogue Trooper or any of these other sort or, uh, any of these other long running stories, you know? Right. Where you get a lot of rotation. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. so anyhow, man. <laughs> that there's a there's a big so there's this big backstory we've seen talk about slain for like years like literally mm. like it's sort of been one of the things in like the thrill forecast or like coming soon to the comic and stuff so it's great that we've actually gotten to it hype is real it's extremely real so here we go man it's the ancient past all right it's like the stone age the bronze age something like that um and Somewhere in there is our buddy Slain with his axe Brain Biter, and they're fighting a time monster, which, yeah, as you've said, is a dang T-Rex, buddy. 
That's a Tamasaurus Rex. That's right. He's doing it to. He's doing this to as a series of bets to make some money with the help of his buddy Uko the Dwarf, who has given him a secret weapon, which is a frog to throw at the monster at just the right moment. The Man, frog. <laughs> Go ahead. This is so awesome to yeah, the, kill a monster with a frog. And yeah, also, fro- Uko looks a lot like a goblin and less like a dwarf. I. I, I I super agree. He's like he's a very dwar- he's a very goblin. He's he, he's not like a Tolkien dwarf for sure. Mm. He's more he's a little bit more like a Christmas like a Christmas elf or something. <laughs> but <laughs> like so a nice uh, early Christmas elf. Yeah. So the frog sticks in the monster's craw and expands and slains able to kill it and take its heart. Which I mean is the first thing I guess you do. You just rip out the thing's heart and show everybody while they boo at you because I guess they thought you would lose. Yeah, and because you got to take the heart out because you got to then take it to a nearby tavern to get boiled in a <laughs> stew so you can eat it to get the monster's strength. Obviously, I mean the logical leaps there are something that I would immediately follow. Were I just a dude who could kill a T Rex? That's right. Uh, so, so Slain is uh, planning to return to his homeland because the old king has died because the harvest was bad. Yeah, got it. Got killed because of it. Um, and he's doing so without. And he plans to do so without Uko, despite the dwarf's protest. Slain prepares to eat the dinosaur's heart to get its strength when some warriors show up and demand their money back from the T Rex fight. Slain's Man, response. Yeah. Oh, kiss my axe. Kiss my axe. <laughs> So awesome. And I love the note from uh, from Uko. In Slane's time, gentle reader, the exchange of insults was almost as important as blows. Also, just a quick aside here. If you saw a dude rip out a T-Rex's heart in front of you, and you were like a sword-wielding barbarian type, like I feel like you'd have second thoughts about like trying to kill that guy. Nah, buddy, because like he used trickery to win, so obviously he's not that tough. I don't, but mm. that's not actually true because you know obviously Slane could kill a hundred of these guys and not think it too many. He kills a bunch of dudes. <laughs> he's catching spears and throwing them back. He's jumping really over awesome. dudes' heads. It's pretty cool. Things heat up when the skull swords of the Droons, these warriors that wear hair breath masks and are super evil, come looking for our guys because they killed the time monster. Mm-hmm. And they decide to get out of there. They run through alleys and hide on dung boats. And they head north <laughs> to the land of the young because nobody lives to an old age because of the fighting. And uh, oh. there we go. This story ends with a map of Slane's world, Fox, and it's oh, basically so cool. It's cool, yeah, because it's basically you know it's a map of sort of the British Isles and northern France, but the sea is way lowered, so the coast extends like two hundred miles in every direction, almost. Yeah, like the English Channel is completely above ground. There's a small inland sea between Ireland and Wales, and that's it. And then, uh, like Scotland, basically north of like Inverness or something, is covered in a sheet of ice. Like sort of the that the the northern highlands of Scotland is is covered in ice. It's got its own uh, sort of uh, feel to it. I, I just it's so neat. Yeah, then it's just got a bunch map. of like of uh, things written on of like you know like the Titans and like lo- different locations and stuff like Lioness and other things like that. It's very cool. Mm. So, it's time for the first Slane story, man. Bellardinelli takes over here, and as always, he's great with, like, scenery and monsters and stuff. Maybe not as as great with regular people, but still real good. I always <laughs> like, uh, you know, Bellardinelli's always fun. He has a very Conan-y Slane. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very Conan story, so it's fine. Um, it's all about uh, the reason Slane got kicked out of his tribe, because yeah. of a babe. 
Yeah, we start with a flashback of Slain has his memories when he was uh, 16, when his old flame, uh, Niav, was the king's chosen bride. Which, hey, if I was a king and I had a chosen bride, uh, bride in my barbarian encampment, I'd definitely put her in a hut surrounded by a wall surrounded by guards. Absolutely, yeah. Her name is uh, N-I-M-H, which is pronounced Niav. I checked it out. Um, I'm trying my best with these Celtic names, everybody. I'm doing my best. <laughs> um but so Slain managed to sneak in and seduce her, but was soon found out. Slain was arrested, but was able to super strength his way out of, out of entanglement, lifting the roof pole that he was chained to out and then escaping, leaving the northern land of Tirnanag and going south where the evil Droons ruled. I believe what you meant to say was he did a strength check, rolled a 20, added in all of the uh, additional strength values that he needed. And then lifted a pole and smashed it. Oh, yeah, he's got a plus it. five to the roll. You know, I mean, when he's a barbarian, so when he rages, he gets advantage on strength checks and stuff. But I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to do a ton of like D and D references, Fox, just because like. All I'm saying is he did exactly what I would have my barbarian character do, which is take a giant pole and smash the nearest dude in the dick with it. Super fair. It was impressive. Yeah. So, um, but now Slane's 19 and he's ready to head home, but it looks like Uko has spent all their gold buying a prison. <laughs> which, the coolest like investment you could do in a in a world of of this kind it is pretty cool um after a swift beating they arrive at the prison <laughs> and get shown around this beating involves it ends with uko kicking slam the butt which is pretty funny uh, yep and i'm just like what but so people are basically just locked up until they can pay their fines or they get you know, they're held to be get get a, 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 a harsher sentence. There's a mysterious door in the basement guarded by an ogre named Nud who comes with the prison. Um, the so door good. just has a prisoner with a plague in it, man. It's definitely not a crazy monster or anything. Anyhow, uh, good time around the prison. I'm out! <laughs> it's really great. He just like... He's just like, all right, your problem now, peace. And it's definitely nothing's wrong with this. Absolutely. This... Second prog ends with the glossary of uh, slain terms. And, you know, a lot of these terms will be explained, of course, the comic, but they are sort of teasers for cool stuff. Terms like Karnun, the horned god, wink, fucking wink. Anyhow, um, <laughs> the jailer escapes as the ogre nud serves beer to, to Uko and slain. Slain, so yeah, it's pretty cool, man. They're just chilling. Slain goes exploring and finds one of his old war buddies, uh, Bob. Like, I don't know how to pronounce B-O-D-B. Bob, I guess. Bob, Bob, you know, Bob in the, of the, of the Black Axes, who's one of the prisoners. He frees Bob and they, and the two of them reminisce about their times as mercenaries, like the Battle of Dunbark, when they fought naked in war paint and followed this oh. giant platform dedicated to the uh, Earth Mother into battle. This was the coolest shit. Not only are they nude, but I guess we get to see what these, like, spasms are that he has. Yeah, 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 yeah. We see Slain's secret weapon, his warp spasms. He morphs into this giant chaos monster with a fountain of black liquid coming out of the top of his head and, like, faces contorting out of his body and stuff. Oh, it's super awesome. That's the coolest shit ever. Absolutely. The crew calls it a night, but in the cell, Bob is visited by someone, and when Slain investigates, he finds a bunch of prisoners, including Bob, with their souls sucked out, dying or dead. 
and not a good not a good look. No. If you're looking to keep your soul in your body. <laughs> you want to keep that soul in. Um, they hear noises from the cell in the basement after Bob curses Slain with his dying breath. They go to investigate as Nud goes to axe Slain in the back. God. Luckily, ogres, man. Yeah, no good. Slain dodges Nud's axe and brains him with a floor tile, which is pretty <laughs> awesome. Just because there's a bunch of like gross, like bugs and shit come up with the floor tile too. Um, it's real good. Yeah, and then he headbutts his way into the locked room where he finds uh, a lady. Not just any lady. Hey, guess what? We got another flashback to go to. Yeah, it's a Blathnade, a uh, a female con artist that Slain and Uko know well. They did a little robbery ring till they got caught, but because they basically stole a truck full of mead and then decided <laughs> to drink the mead instead of like make money off of it. It was just like pass out on the road and like the right shot of where them, like, they drunk and hung out. Yeah, right where they stole the uh, the cart. So they're like, oh, we're the worst bandits in Tiernanog, man, whatever. It's uh, my favorite scene because the guy comes back and he's pointing and all these guards are behind him and he's just like, they're still here. <laughs> it's good. Um, so after, they, after that failed, she got into a fake marriage scheme. But when she got hit on the head by a roof stone escaping from her 15th husband, she was arrested and put in Slane's prison. Uh, well, hey, man, we're going to let you out. There's yeah, no way good. we're staying in here. Nah. Slane takes a minute to finish off Nud, and then Blathnade reveals herself. She's actually a crazy snake woman pretending to be Blathnade. Oh, my God. She sucked the whatever out of her. Some crap. Yeah. There's a reason this warp snake eats warp. But, what you know, she escaped from the netherworld to here. Now she's going to suck the souls out of everybody in the prison. And she's going to move into Slane's body because his warp presence, his warp, his warp spasm abilities will help sustain this demon. And she's like, dude, this is dope. You're exactly yeah. what I need. Exactly. The snake st- uh, coils around Slane and threatens him with its huge teeth. Next time on Hell's Edge. And that's Slane, man. Man, Slane's cool as Fuck. Nice. Yeah, I'm super stoked about Slain. Um, you know, you can tell that they sort of know they've got a hit on their hand because we're seeing some of the stuff that they had um, with like when they started Rogue Trooper mm. or um, or Ace Trucking where they kind of have like a map and they have like some list of terms and stuff of just like we're, we're rolling out this character is going to be a big part of your life for the next uh, foreseeable future. Um, <laughs> Like as it is with Slain, I think he's. Go- I think Slain's basically going to become the third, um, the third point that's always in 2000 AD, along with Dread and Rogue Trooper for at least the next like 200 or so progs. I'd say. Oh man, that's great because um, I really like this and I want to know more. <laughs> yeah, I'm stoked to finally get to this character. Uh, I always say Slain is one of the Mount Rushmore 2000 AD characters. It's like Dread, Johnny Alpha, Rogue Trooper, and Slain are sort of the four like tent poles of 2000 ad you know and who's um, the alien general that ended up com- cutting his face in later i guess it's nikolai dante or maybe sinister dexter actually um but <laughs> or maybe throwback. One, one of those is the alien one of those is the mutant general the other one is uh jimmy carter but um <laughs> Oh, that's Don't great. forget that. But um but like, you know, if you look like on um like the 2000 AD like a like the Thrillcast, the official podcast, right? Like their mm. image is Dread, Johnny Alpha and Slain. 
you know, it's this, um, he's like the big, like main 2080 guy that we haven't gotten yet. And it's awesome that he's finally arrived. I just like the marriage of both, uh, sci-fi or I guess all three sci-fi prehistory and like, uh, kind of magic, kind of barbarian. Uh, and like they say, things. like, you know, this is a straight up sword and sorcery tale. You know, it's yeah. like, it's just straight up, like, it's not like literally Conan, but it's very Conan-esque of like a loincloth clad dude, like getting involved in wizard shit, you know? Like, we'll see more <laughs> of this as it goes. Um, Lo- I, I just want that as a quote, loincloth clad dude getting involved with wizard shit. I feel like that's the actual sub subtitle of most Conan things. <laughs> um, but I will say one thing I really like about the opening of, of uh, Slain, they talk about the, uh, like, you know, mercenary cattle rustler and battle smiter. That's very similar to sort of the opening the fir- of the first Conan story that sort of talks about, like, you know, a man of uh, enormous humors and enormous angst who would uh, trod, trod the world beneath his sandals and stuff. Um, it's very cool. Jesus. My favorite part about the start of Slain is when they jump into the poop boats. I've got to get in those dung boats, buddy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and so we're going to see more by Belladrinelli and then Mick McMahon as well. Very excited for the start of Slain. That's but, awesome. Just as things start, they must also end Fox, and so we go to Thrill 2, Robo Hunter. All right, I guess let's wrap up this story. Yeah. Uh, Script about Alan Grant and John Wagner's Grant Grover, art about Ian Gibson, later about Steve Potter. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're near the end of a story that feels like it's overstated its welcome when you have a magical button that you can press to stop the plot from happening. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're finishing up this uh, Death of Sam Slade storyline, just one episode in that one. We have Sam Slade, now a ghost possessing the body of his clone, Sam Scum, assaults the spaceship of the man who killed both his original body and that was responsible for creating his new one, Dr. Deller. (laughs) Done. After avoiding space lasers in a spacing that's nicely free of sound effects, because it's no sound space, buddy, as as all nerds would let you know if they're being really pedantic, he enters the station and dispatches the teeny mechs with a circuit disruptor, something he didn't have previously prepared. So this is sort of a Batman-style fight where you lose the first one, you get a chance to plan, and you win the second one easily because you invented a bunch of new powers, but everybody gives you a pass over it because you wear black, and it's fine, unlike Superman, everybody gives a shit gives him shit for anyhow um (laughs) the team x turn on each other and sam enters the control room and shoots deller in the knee the mad scientist surrenders and as both hoagie and the sams discuss the ethics of killing a man who has given up the point becomes moot as deller goes for his gun and sam is forced to take him out so i guess whatever that resolved itself yep with all that settled, it's time to take care of Deller's loot. They could keep it for themselves, but it's way easier to just turn into the cops and get a hefty bounty, buddy, which they do. And 24 billion creds. Not bad. And the Sams, Hoagie, and Stogie are able to retire to a life of babes, booze, and wicker chairs on the Tahiti Pleasure Pavilion. Seems like a, a pretty cool thing. You get, get all the free fruit you want. Ladies feeding you drinks. Yeah, so good times. Anyhow, let's go to the next uh, Sam Slade story. It's pretty funny because they say at the end of the death of Sam Slade, like the next story is coming soon, but actually just next prog, mostly because <laughs> they feel like they're they're clearing the decks for 335 when a whole bunch of new stories start, and Robo Hunter's one of the ones that gets knocked off the list. Gotcha. I mean, it's ready. 
Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah, so it's Sam Slade's last case. FYI, it is not Sam Slade's last case, just in general. Okay. Um, we start with Hoagie and Stogie welcoming us to the comic. You'd better pay attention, you pig of a podcast listener. <laughs> he was really direct. I felt like he was talking directly to me. Mm-hmm. They recap the events of the last story, or at least how how Sam got rich and went to Tahiti to relax for a bit. And it turns out that he's been relaxing for the last 51 years. Oh, man, he became a big boy. He's a little old. Yeah, now he's an old like like fat guy, like a very Hemingway esque kind of guy. Um, still yeah. enjoying babes, booze, and wicker chairs, and the bot. But the bots are ready for some action. Um, I mean, fifty one years is it's a long time. I mean, I would. I'm ready to retire. I mean, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to retire. Just do this podcast for fifty one years, whatever. Fair. We might actually get caught up. Um, <laughs> Anyhow, Hoagie finds a message, uh, but the bots are ready for some action, especially after Hoagie finds um, a message in a bottle. Apparently someone is being held prisoner on the mysterious Isle of Dr. Droid. Good thing Sam doesn't care, so our plot doesn't have to move forward. Sam does not care, but that night the bots put a plan into action as Stogie slides a Michael Finn, a.k.a. a Mickey Finn, into Sam's drink and he passes out. Mickey Finn is, of course, what we used to call Rufies uh, before that term was invented. Yeah, Mickey. I guess, I guess it's a diff- slightly different uh, formulation, but, you know, whatever. You put it in the drink and they knock and uh, yeah, it out. I mean, I got the idea. I just never heard it called a Michael Fiend. No, it's always a Mickey Finn. That's the name of the guy. But uh, Stogie's calling it a Michael a Michael Fiend because he's got the Spanish accent. I guess uh, I don't know. He's he's a uh, well, you know, he's being respectful to the Mickey Finn, so he's not calling it by its nickname. He's calling it by, by its full name. You know, <laughs> gotta respect the That's drugs right. that we're gonna put him on for like three weeks. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty long. <laughs> Anyhow. uh... Sam passes out. The bots bind and gag him, and it's time to go looking for Dr. Droid. Uh, Hoagie's pretty stoked about this plan, which rightly gives Stogie cause for concern. Like, oh, Hoagie seems to be really, seems to think this is a really good plan. That's actually not a good sign for the plan. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, don't worry about that. Instead, let's drag, drop, and carry an unconscious Sam to his boat, the SS Dunhuntin', which is pretty funny. They... They and then they hook his nose with yeah, a they, grappling hook. Well, first they push him off the side of the balcony of his hotel, which is like 20 stories up. And yeah, and then they drag him to the boat by grappling, hooking his nose and pulling him in. Uh, the, the bots go looking for the mysterious Isle of Dr. Droid anyway. Um, they also break out Sam's RoboHunter gear, and Hoagie manages to only shoot himself once in the face in the course of doing this. I mean, he um, missed, by my account. Fair enough. Three hurricanes, <laughs> two typhoons, and 14 roofies later, they've checked every island on the map and not found Dr. Droid's island until suddenly a new island arises from the sea. Man, hey, is, that's sheer luck. <laughs> is this the mysterious island of Dr. Droid? Sure is. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> let's wake up Sam and have him uh, get to work, assuming that he hasn't been roofied to death over the course of the last couple of weeks. I'm, I mean, it stands <laughs> to reason, right? Yeah, Stogie shouts death at, or shouts threats as the bots try to wake Sam up, and the evil Dr. Droid tells them to enter his harbor to sort all this stuff out. Dr. Droid he is. He seems conf- really cordial. He's like, he's, how's it going? 
He's very nice. He seems very confused by the claims that he has evil schemes. And then eventually Sam wakes up. He's pretty pissed about all this, especially when Dr. Droid reveals himself to be the head of a health farm, basically. <laughs> like a, just helping guys re- recover from being like overweight and stuff. So, Which? Chan- I mean, well, let's not spoil it uh, from ne- for next week. But Sam grabs his gun because there's robots, because there are robots to be hunted, namely Hoagie and Stogie. Run like Stink Hoagie! <laughs> next time, Isle of No Return. Man. It's pretty good. I mean, I like uh, I like uh, how this like whole series of him just becoming young again, getting his body back again. Mm-hmm. Now he's just old. <laughs> he's even older than he was at the start, you know? Yeah. I mean, the guy's like, let's let him live out the rest of his life, dude. He's, he's got to be like 80 or like he's physically 80, I think. Like, you know. I mean, he like- looks like a... a God, what is it? Grizzly Adams at this point. I think he looks super Hemingway, like I said before. Yeah, I would, but, um, I would strongly agree. He was even but, drinking out of a Collins glass the whole exa- time. Which yeah, I think exactly. Was- but I just love all the bot, all the robot antics here. Like this is a good, um, good like last hurrah for these guys to really give Hoagie and Sogi a chance to just kind of like make jokes and be silly and stuff, which they didn't get to do last in the last story that much. No, and I in in general, I think they're actually playing off of each other fairly well, yeah. which is a lot for me for the whole. Oops, sorry, the whole no I don't like Hoagie thing. <laughs> I mean, like I don't, I would want to like I like Hoagie just because he's funny and like is incompetent, like that's fun stuff. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, yeah, and speaking of you know, kind of a little bit more humorous uh, death and destruction, it's. <laughs> Thrill three, Judge Dread. Oh man, oh man! I can't wait till we get to the good shit. Fun stuff here. Uh, John Wagner and Alan Grant as TV Grover, the script robot, art robots Ron Smith and Carlos Escara, letting robot Tom Frame. So we're finishing up the story from last time, where uh, Carl Han- Carl Hans Plitchers in tomato sauce, Claterman. <laughs> Is doing this to weather symphony. He's drowned concert goers in rain and hailstones, and he takes out a pair of judges trying to shut down the show with forked lightning. Man, it's really—he's just killing a lot of people. It's true. Yeah, he covers himself in a bulletproof bubble as the concert intensifies, and the front rows are hit by a flash flood and a tropical typhoon. Soon, the entire lower orchestra section is completely destroyed as the weather clears up, and there's just like a, it's just like the whole thing is flooded, and there's just a ton of like bodies and chairs and stuff just floating <laughs> in the wreckage, basically. But you know, that's just not, that's just not enough. The man's gotta have a volcanic eruption. Yeah, at this point, people try to leave and find the doors are locked, and then the back of the house is just hit by a full on volcanic eruption. Lava flows through the seats. As uh, Dredd is outside, leading a contingent of judges trying to break into the auditorium. Um, people are dying left and right. A final earthquake swallows the, uh, like, everybody playing the instruments and stuff. Uh, that orchestra into a gap in the earth and just smashes them together and kills them all. It's it's horrible. <laughs> and, it, like, the whole, everything, everybody and every everything is dead and destroyed in this concert hall. As Dredd finally gets into the place to find Claterman bowing. And saying they'll always speak of this performance and dread like who's left to talk about it, you know. Like it's just like you killed them all, man. Like they're dead. Dead. Like got it. I I'm surprised that it got cleared by the Justice Department because like the use of lava 
an earthquake. Well, I mean, we talked about this last episode. Remember, they just rubber stamped it because, like, he's just a weird because they they're backed up and have like thousands of um. Oh yeah, that's right. Requests and like, well, the last concert he did was just twelve twelve robot chickens in a in a piano. So what can he do? You know. He went fucking crazy is what That's, happened. Hey, hey. Speaking of people going crazy for art and oh, competition, Fox, it's time for a so new Dread awesome. story here, man. Um, I love this one because I like fatties and I like art by Carlos Escara. <laughs> um, it's Requiem for a Heavyweight. Dude, it's just, uh, it's like a whole tree ties on like sports and, and and juicing man it's great totally yeah so dread and another judge are investigating a death um a fatty you know one of the uh super overweight member you know members of the super overweight subculture of mega city one they mm. find a guy who's died from having a bedstead lodged in his abdomen like he ate his whole bed <laughs> and the bed's freaking sticking out of him like sticking out of like oh. this giant mass of a body including like out of his mouth and stuff um Looks really horrible. Yeah, we flash back to a couple hoods finding the fatty first before he's died. And as he dies, he's crying that it isn't fair. He could have been a contender. Um, oh, God. It's revealed that one of them must have le- one of the hoods must have left a bottle of appetite inducer in the fatty's room. And he drank it all and got so hungry that he ate everything. Like, just nothing sated his appetite. Not rugs or books or <laughs> Not, yeah. weird satellite dishes. It's now, just like... Yeah, he ate it all. Now he's gone and he'll never be heavyweight champion of the world. They ditch the body and these two guys... Uh, <laughs> Charlie Bruno, who does not look unlike Jim DeGriz, and Lumpy have to find a new heavyweight. Meanwhile, (laughs) Dredd gets the content of the dead man, uh, Pudge Dempsey's stomach. Like Fox said, included all the furniture in a one-bedroom apartment, including like 12 books, a rug, an AC unit, three pairs of shoes, and two chairs. <laughs> what I what I love is that on the contents of stomach note that he hands him, it says books twelve assorted. See appendix for titles. Right, <laughs> like they get that methodical. <laughs> um, this leads Dread into the world of competitive eating, an underground sport, of course, due to uh, fatties generally being outlawed due to apocalypse war food shortages. In fact, they're kept in basically internment blocks. Yeah, yeah. At the same time, Charlie and Lumpy are headed to the fat blocks, which, yeah, we'll remember all the fatties being herded in there at the end of the League of Fatties story. Um, but it's turned out that those blocks are basically a waste of time because once somebody gets below the uh, required 299 kilograms and get released, they celebrate with a huge binge and come right back in, basically. Ugh. Um, Lumpy and Charlie find their way to the Frank Cannon block. Frank Cannon, of course, being William Conrad's character in uh, Ironsides, I want to say. Some show. Um, whatever, he's a big fat guy. Uh, and they find their man, Arnold Stodgman, who's oh, so fat that he's actually gained three kilograms in the fat blocks with a place designed to make you lose weight, like scientifically. Somehow he's actually gained weight. That's, he, and that's the big thing that he's like, dude, this guy's got determination and dedication. He's weighing uh, 986 kilograms, which Jesus. is 2,173 and 76 pounds for American listeners. That's oh my God. 300 kilograms more than the fattest man ever, or heaviest man, I guess I should say, John Bauer Minock, who at his heaviest weighed 633 kilograms. Oh, and 
ironically, I'd say died on September 10th, 1983, which is the same day that Prague 333 came out. Whoa, <laughs> so really? He, he died in the middle of the Requiem for, the, for a heavyweight storyline, which is kind of funny. I don't know, or a weird, like, irony thing, for sure. <laughs> The universe working its ironies. In I just looked it, it up on the Guinness Book of World Records site, and I was like, "Whoa, that's weird." <laughs> Anyhow, Man, I love this guy because his mustache is great. Arnold Stodgeman has a fantastic mustache, and he's going to be the next heavyweight champion of the world. You just watch. <laughs> oh, it's going to be great. Yeah, but how and are we going to get him out of here, Conrad? He's well, stuck inside this internment block. Yeah, an announcement <laughs> is made that there is going to be a midnight feast just outside the gates of the fat blocks, and this causes a massive stampede of giant humans. <laughs> In the chaos, Charlie and Lumpy uh, talk to Arnold Stodgeman, and like Charlie makes a big show of like testing how fat he is, and he's able to like do like the arm test where he just jams his arm into <laughs> into Arnold Stodgeman's gut, and it goes all the way up to his shoulder. Oh my god! <laughs> so they talk to him about being a professional eater, and he's very keen. They roll him through the fence, literally, and onto a van, and they're off. <laughs> really, just the best heist ever. Definitely, big big fat guy heist. Um. But man, now we gotta Me- catch him. Yeah, meanwhile, Dredd is breaking up some eating training and wants info about who is managing uh, Pudge Dempsey from another Flab manager, Happy Duff. Um, and I mean, after we don't sort of, share that information, right? Like, but we can't. You know, after Dredd like adds up all the charges he's going to get and stuff, he does eventually let let slip about uh, how Charlie Bruno was was training Pudge Dempsey, and he gets taken away. And it ends with my favorite thing, which is a Hey, you said Pudge died. Where did he die of? Ate his bed. Well, now that's class. I thought that's <laughs> so funny. Just the way, like, just the way Dredd shouts, "Ate his bed" is real funny. <laughs> like, Dude, it's and, a whole and- thing. I love that the guy's just so impressed. It's like, my God. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, so two judges died during that hoax at the Frank Cannon block. So now oh. this case is personal, Fox. Uh, don't just go slaying judges. I mean, yeah. you do. It happens in nearly every It happens company. a lot. But, I mean, there's still there's still got to be retribution for it. Um, Tr- uh, Dredd goes back to Happy Duff asking to know where Charlie Bruno is, implying that a lower sentence, but not actually doing so. Uh, Duff says he doesn't know, but that he'll surely be at the World Eating Championships at the Cyril Lord Block Ruins in about a week. Cyril Lord was a British uh, carpet salesman. Luxury you can afford from Cyril Lord. Oh my uh, god. Yeah, Duff goes back to the cubes <laughs> with an extra three years for threatening Dread when Dread doesn't lower his sentence. Um, Which... I mean, really, just don't, just don't threaten Judge Dredd. Seems like he's he'll, he's real free with these years, man. Um, so the we it's it's a week till the championships, and Charlie's training Stodgeman to be a top eater. He gives him appetite inducers and just freaking jams food down his throat. Jaws I, the tiger. Food dude, training yes. montage. <laughs> I love. I love that he's got a shirt on that says Joseph the Tiger. It's the Joseph Joseph the Tiger. Tiger. It's It's the food in the fight. Rising up with the main course of our rival. Beautiful. (laughs) I love the giant, like, uh, hamster food dispensing unit. And the last known eater wipes his chin in the night. Cause he's eating us all with the jaws. 
Oh, the tiger. Beautiful. Stodge has never been so happy and promises to win the championships even if it kills him. Which it I mean, might, might possible. Like, like, like you're supposed to eat it. Like the the amount you've got to eat is a ton of food that just comes down through this giant. Um, like, yeah, like you said, like a giant, just like a, a a giant funnel that just goes right into your mouth. Um, oh, that's so great. So people head into the Cyril Lord block as Dread and the other judges wait to pounce. Contestants are coming in for the championships. Here comes the champ, Little Joe Johansson. He holds the eating record of 93 kilograms in one hour, but he doesn't care. Stop! Doesn't scare Stodgeman. He can take him next time. Chow down. Man, I like how uh, how little Joe's coming through the audience, and he's just shoving people out of the way. I mean, he's just like a like a mountain that's just moving through like a, a field of wheat, basically. It's I'll say, really great. I'll say also that they're gonna t- they're talking about eating a ton of food. Uh, the most one person has eaten in a single sitting was this lady who ate sixteen pounds of food and died because of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, your stomach will just burst past a certain yep. point. Yeah, yeah. They were like, she died as they were trying to remove undigested food from her stomach. Anyhow, <laughs> speaking. That's horrible. Oh yeah, no, it's rough. But speaking of uh, historic ladies, Fox, <laughs> it's non thrills, covers, nerve centered pop culture robots. I mean, I'm proud just when I eat a whole pizza by myself. For real, and that's not like I- that's like a pound. Or something. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how much it was, actually. I gotta think about well, it. Well, because, like, by the end of, like, you know, like, even a deep dish pizza, which you can't get freaking Germany. But anyway, <laughs> point is, it's yeah. like, even after eating one of those, and it's, like, super filling, I'm, like, proud, no, but yeah. I've also got the sweats. Survived. Yeah. So, okay, so Prague 330, Fox, Slain has arrived. And this is a great cover by Angie Kincaid, uh, just drawing Slain, you know, accent some dudes in kind of a mm. fantasy setting. This is the first 2080 cover drawn by a female artist, Fox. That's would awesome. You, would you like to guess when the second cover drawn by a female artist is? Oh, God. Is it depressing? Yes. Oh, no, I don't want to guess. <laughs> the answer is Prague 2074, a.k.a. two months ago. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, there's a half side nerve center this year, or or this this uh, Prague, which plugs an annual signing at Forbidden Planet, and there's a letter from a kid who has oh. gained thrill power strength from finding a 2080 on the ground, and he wants to plug his band <laughs> primitive grapefruit. <laughs> if the human league can do it, um, and yeah, why not? Prague 331, bred to fight, destined to die. Cam Kennedy gives us a pretty iconic Rogue Trooper cover here. It's awesome. Ner- yeah, the Nerve Center tar- Tharg, the TV superstar, continues to plug Thrill Power Unlimited with new slain Robo Hunter stories and a new Dread story, too, though he doesn't mention that. Um, <laughs> then, then and, of course, there's Vogue Trooper. <laughs> right, straight from Savile Row. Um, I freaking love it. He, also, there's going to be a sticker scheme in Progs 333 and 334. Readers suggest, cool. and then all the Nerve Center ones are, are, all the Nerve Center letters are people suggesting ways to store old progs, including, Ooh. uh, using rubber bands to bind them in a folder or in a binder, I guess. Um, using, you know, the, uh, industry standard board and bag techniques and mm-hmm. then putting them in just old cereal boxes that you've decorated with, um, 2080 posters man the cereal box thing is great actually yeah think about that it's just because you know that 
these progs are so big in comparison to regular comic books, you got to mm-hmm. kind of have a specialized way to do it. Yeah, of course. We're starting to get more deals in the prog where you mail things away th- to the 2080 <laughs> offices to buy things. This time it's a BMX bike. Dope. Always good. And this prog ends with a great color pinup of our friends from Skiz by Jim Bakey. I love this pinup. I, I really love so how uh, Cornelius is standing on a picture of Van Owen, like on the bottom. He there, has his know? pride. Fucking yes, buddy. Um, Frog 332. Now we're talking, man. Bellardinelli draws a massive poster cover of Slain fighting the Battle of Dunbark. It's so awesome. He's really nude. <laughs> Super nude. It's just painted warriors versus loincloth, dude. It's always an awesome time. And then, shirts and then, versus skins, man. Always. Or, yeah, but like lower half shirts versus skins. Um <laughs> It's like loincloths versus skins, I guess. In the nerve center, Tharg the Aussie, uh, Borag Thug Possums, uh, complete with a core cat, lets us know that he's putting out an album, Sweet Return of the Jedi stickers, starting this week. Not for international readers, screw you Americans. He also oh. teases uh, Prog 335, which I'm also pretty stoked about. There's a picture of Fog the Were Judge and compliments for DR and Quinch, Cry the Werewolf, and complaints about Tharg not paying the Moore and Bert droids for their letter in Prog 319 apologizing. Which, for- I mean, hey, man. I mean, if you pay everybody that puts puts a letter in there, they did have a letter. But, you know, you also don't want to pay these robots, man. It gives them, uh, gives them airs. Um, I guess. <laughs> Mid-prog, there's an ad for a Chewbacca bandolier to hold your Star Wars action <laughs> figures in. And I this... went to a comic book store and I saw one of these in the wild. And it's real awesome. Of just... Really? <laughs> yeah, it's just a chest. You know, you bandolier put on your chest. You got all your action figures there ready to go. I think that's cool. <laughs> I mean, I so I don't necessarily disagree. But I've seen like a kid walking around with like, you know, the Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Yeah. I've seen one of the you. They're they're wearing like a half circle on their forearm, and it seems completely. Oh, like one of the battle things from. Oh, that's yeah. awesome! Completely <laughs> unreasonable to play on because it's on your fucking forearm. But he had it, and I'm like, man, I just it just seems like <sighs> it's so much. You know. I mean, yeah. I mean, okay. Like, listen, I'm I'm saying it's cool for certain definitions of cool. Like, not a look I would want to have, but I'm super happy about a kid that wants to have that look, you oh, know? strong agree. I mean, like, I wanted the Ghostbusters power pack and all yeah. that shit, man. I mean, that's, that that's, what I'm, awesome. that's all I'm talking about. Also, you can buy binoculars from 2008, two different <laughs> uh, lens strengths. Uh, Prog 333. <laughs> uh, Dread is checking out a synth sausage on the Trail of the World Eating Championships in this double-sized oh. scare cover. In the Nerve Center, Tharg the Quasar Bike further explains the Return of the Jedi sticker book thing. And again, teases Prog 335. There's a good picture of uh, Carlos Sanchez Robostogi by a reader and letters calling for a kill, a Quiltro Thargo having a D&D based story and a request for special, um, coloring on the outsides of Progs to help categorizing them, as well as a request for some more Abelard Snaz stories. Request no. denied! What? <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're done with Abelard Snaz, and we got DR and Quinch now. That's fair. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, for the record, there are stickers to be obtained. You can get them from 2000 AD. You can get them from issues of Eagle and Buster, as well as from your news agent. Collect them all! Nice. Stickers are cool. Fine, I guess. Um, wow. I mean, yeah, anti-sticker, says Conrad. <laughs> um, Man, we'll see 
who's getting those sweet uh, Prog 1 or Prog 2 cybernetic stickers for Christmas now. Oh, shit. <laughs> I mean, I'll take bios, bio, uh, biomechanical sticker, whatever those things are. I'm ready. Ones but, that don't come off. <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely have trouble coming off. I want. I gotta say, I would wonder how sticky those things would still be after like 42 years. You know, <laughs> uh, if they were in fact still sticky, that has me very worried about the adhesive. It's true. Yeah, you probably don't want to put it on your skin at that point. But anyhow, speaking of Star Wars and other uh, visitors from alien planets, Fox. Oh, it's thrill for. Skiz. Oh, the end of Skiz. So skip, beautiful. Yeah, skip through about Alan Moore, art about Jim Bakey, learning about Tony Jacob. Where we last left, Skiz, the Tau Seti Imperium ship, had just arrived to collect Skiz, the interpreter Zix. It dispenses a bunch of aliens on rocket sleds, and Van Owen seems to go mad. Bathed in otherworldly light, he aims his rifle at Roxy and Skiz, when suddenly a bloody hand grabs his shoulder. It's Cornelius! He shoot down, but... He's alive, buddy! Cornelius is alive. He says, I've got my pride once more. And he throws Van Owen over the side of the spaghetti junction. Yeah, he, so now he's dead. <laughs> yeah, he lands with a cud as Roxy and her dad and Skiz and his people are both reunited at the same time. Oh, everything's really wrapping up with a bow here. It's true, yeah. Shipmaster Rivtver um, got Skiz's distress call and is here to collect him. Uh, Skiz is ready to go, but takes a moment to wish his friends farewell. Uh, Laws is a man of few words and wishes him ta-ra. Um, Cornelius says he's, fi- says he's fine, you know, not hurt or anything. And asks, you know, as always, if his job's in space, let him know. And the two of them hug, and it's real nice. Yeah. And then... Almost word- wordlessly, Skiz and Roxy exchange a tearful kiss, and he's gone. Oh. Uh, Steve McManus talks, actually, in his book about how he added some of the little lines in here, like of them saying, like, you know, goodbye or farewell or something. And because he was worried about younger readers not figuring out what was going on here. Mm. Um, and he re- he really regrets doing that, like, to this day. It's one of his biggest regrets as editor of wow. 2000 AD. Oh, man. Um, I get sh- you. Yeah, it's just a thing, you know. The ship takes off, and Zix and Rupter talk about his experiences. What were the monsters of Earth like? Uh, they were cruel and ugly. There was so much hate and despair, and so much love. What were they like, sh- shipmaster? I will tell you. Some of them had style. Some of them have their pride. And some of them, some of them are stars. Oh. And that's it for Skiz. Oh, I love it. Skiz will return, Fox, with Holy shit. Jim Bakey doing the writing as well as the art in Skiz 2 in January 1992. Oh my god, was it was it a good idea? I feel like it's good. I, I like the Skizzes. I think they're they're good stories. Okay. Oh, you know. awesome. Then yeah, I'm looking so, forward to it like a million years from now. Yeah, nine years from, from where we are right now. It's oh, crazy. Fuck off. I oh mean, no! Act- you don't mean actual years. Oh, thank God! No, 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 no. Six, six. Let, no, uh, sorry. Yeah, like seven and a half years from, or no, sorry, eight, eight and a half years from where we are in the progs right now. We will get to it in like mid twenty twenty if we keep in our current path oh. <laughs> at our current speed. You know, like I haven't actually scoped out that far, but that's about it. Yeah, mid to late twenty twenty. Holy, Holy uh, God! 
Stay tuned, <laughs> listeners. That's right. And speaking of terrifying futures, Fox, it's Thrill 5 Rogue Trooper. Truly terrifying. <laughs> a clear night on New Earth lets Rogue and the chips see a, see a sky alive with millisats, attack atmo craft, and air-to-air missiles, and an off-world ship arriving through the black hole in the sky. It's flying down to meet Brass and Bland of the Trader General. Hey, why not? Yeah, they give the TG a lighter, more maneuverable, but very expensive atmosphere suit, and have the aliens cover the planet in hollow discs that play a message from the Trader General, calling Rogue Trooper out! Oh, man. Yeah, meet him at the site of the Quartz Massacre, and they'll settle things once and for all. Yeah, uh, symbolism and all that. Mm-hmm. That night, the Trader General destroys the Souther land speeder and its crew as proof of concept for their new suit, which is kind of weird looking out to me because his head looks real big and gross, <laughs> kind of coming out of like the tight spandex of this of this uh, suit. True to life, really. Yeah, and it's just got a really like like a glass dome that's very form fitting around his head and stuff. Um, that's real weird. Unbeknownst. Totally, yeah. Unbeknownst to either the Trader General or Rogue is that Brass and Bland are going to broadcast this match between them and sell the broadcast rights to all the aliens in the galaxy, and they'll get rich off the promotion alone to say nothing of their side bets. Seems like everybody in the galaxy knows this Rogue Trooper fella. I mean, aliens like seeing blue guys fight. I feel like that's a universal truth. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Listen to me. The match is on. Uh, the Trader General observes the ground as Brass and Bland in a hover station with a sweet solar umbrella prepare the broadcast. The Trader General finds something from the massacre he'll mark for later. Rogue Trooper approaches and notices there are eyeballer droids everywhere, but that's fine because he doesn't care who sees him kill the Trader General, buddy. In fact, more publicity for his anti-government speech. That's right. The two of them square off across the plain of the Quartz Massacre and then spring into action. They exchange shots. Rogue blows away the Trader General's original suit, but he reveals his fashionable new one. Oh my god, it was all just a decoy. The tra- a lot of decoy stuff in Rogue Trooper fights, always. Mm. The Trader General lures Rogue close to his ace in the hole and unexploded f- flesh disintegrator. The battle is heating up as some aliens from Zykik pro- project their vision of the end of the battle, showing Rogue reduced to a skeleton. The traitor's trap will work! Oh, but, man. But Brass and Bland betted on Rogue Trooper to win. Oh, no! I feel like they should have just like said they bought him a super cool suit, but then it just wasn't all that super or Yeah, awesome. they didn't do very much to sabotage, and that's what I'm trying to say if they really were going to make this bet work. Just um, feel like they didn't think it all through. They were like, ah, oh, sure, it'll work. Yeah. The Trader General forces Rogue to take cover in the rock with the hidden flesh disintegrator as Brass and Bland cut the feed to protect their bets. <laughs> Which it doesn't seem I feel like, like an work. uninterrupted feed is the whole reason that you're watching. Indeed. Yeah, like... it seemed like yeah, they'd lose a, mo- a lot in the broadcasting too. Um, the bomb goes off and when the dust clears it's just a GI skeleton. Oh man. Brass rides out knowing they've lost a fortune and says as much to the Trader General. They wanted him to lose despite equipping and training him. Man, don't tell that to a guy with a gun. (laughs) Can't stress it enough. But wait! It turns out the whole thing was a ruse by Rogue. All GIs are immune to flesh disintegrators, dummy. That's why they used them. 
Well, it's like, ah, oh, man. <laughs> the, so the, yeah, you would have thought the Trader General might have known. Yeah. I guess he didn't do his reading. Who knows? But uh, yeah, those psychics just um, saw the dead body that Rogue would use for cover here. Ooh. Um, the Trader General takes Brass hostage, and there's a standoff between Rogue and the Trader General. The chips, they just shoot him because like, Brass is like a war profiteering jerk, too. Yeah, man. But Rogue can't kill an innocent man, quote-unquote. Instead, the Trader General steals Brass and Bland's ship and rips off Brass's air pipe as he leaves. The Trader General escapes. And Brass is dead. Yeah, it's very sad. It's the first time he actually, like, one of them calls them by their their first names. I think that's true. It's like, Maury. They always (laughs) say Mr. Brass and Mr. Bland. It's true. That's a good point. Uh, Rogue continues his quest to find the Trader General as Bland takes his friend to be buried by the o- the Offworlders. Afterwards, I shall have my revenge! Which is like... Uh, <laughs> it's a good revenge shot. <laughs> totally. So after that, uh, Baluda takes over art here for part one of the Frisco Fog story. Fog with a PH. Oh. He's he's got a really dark art style that I like. Um, we talked about this actually a yes. lot in uh, in the sci-fi special in the '83 sci-fi special with Steve Lacey. Um, here here like Baluda there too, and he does stuff here too as well. Um, mm. Cool stuff with inks, as we can see, especially I think in the opening picture of what I believe is, they don't name it, but it's the New Bay Bridge going into uh, San Francisco the second. <laughs> It's not the new New Bay Bridge. It's the old New Bay Bridge. Something. Uh, SF2, sorry, San Francisco the second, has a super thick, low-lying chem clouds, deadly even-in suits. And because of this, all the fighting is done on the upper floors of skyscrapers with massive bridges like being built between them. Mm. You see Norton and Airlock Bridge take control of a tower, fighting floor to floor. It's actually pretty cool, if you ask me. Well, we're, we're getting like some actual in-depth combat between these two groups like we haven't really seen something this detailed since uh dixieland or the yeah. uh or the uh fort nero euro yeah fort nero but even more even this then is, it was light yeah and those are like sort of specific fortresses and people being like rolled up so especially like you know even like the dixie front like it was more just sort of a lot of wastelands that rogue was sort of moving along you know mm. as opposed to here where it's like an actual city that people live in you know have lived in and sort of had to find a way to live to ex- exist in and stuff mm. which is interesting yeah i agree yeah so rogue so so rogue sees an, um a souther tower fall to the north and he decides that he's going to help out this time um, he grabs a, a fallen Souther flag and goes up an elevator of a still-occupied Souther Tower where he meets the Souther defenders, including one who's succumbed to Fort Neuro Syndrome and thinks he's some kind of Frank Zappa hippie type. <laughs> but as Rogue returns their standard to them, the shouts of Nordland, Nordland goes up. The Nords are attacking. Across these extending bridges, it's like really creepy. It's pretty cool, but this time you got a GI on your side. Next time, bloods up. <laughs> I feel like having a GI on your side just means a lot of you are going to die, and I'm going to walk away from this. I mean, yeah, he do- doesn't really have a good good track record of lasting victories. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, he's getting away. That's all that matters. That's true. Hey, and speaking of getting away, Fox, it's... Oh. Yeah, I'm pretty happy about it. 
Thrill Six, Future Shocks, and Time Twisters. I like you, because I, man, yeah, we'll get to I was worried about how it's going to transition to this one, I'm not going to lie. That was great. (laughs) So, first story is Buzz Off, script robot Alan Moore, art robot Jim Eldridge, lighting robot Tony Jacob. So, quick one here. Um, a fly sees that it's October 23rd and reveals that he and all other flies are actually <laughs> tiny men in fly-shaped ships. He radios they communicate the other... communicate by zuz, zuz, zuzzing. Yeah, the, the buzzing is how they communicate in their weird little tiny dude languages. Um, they all agree to, co- to go to Costa del Sol and summon a pigeon, which turns out to be like a freaking aircraft carrier for all these flies. It's like Bud opens up, they file into the pigeon, the pigeon flies off, and it you know it goes off the sunset, and that's where flies go in the winter. It's so good. It's actually, you know, there's no, like, there's, vi- like, besides, like, the buzzes and, like, the captions on things, there's no, like, actual words in this story or anything. Uh, it's exactly that's what i always go. wanted to see. <laughs> it's just a good, like, here's two pages of weird stuff, man. Let's have some fun. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's good. Uh, next up, it's Look Before You Leap. Man. <laughs> Another quick one here. Script about Alan Moore. My art about Mike White. Letting about Tom Frame. So yeah, no, no, another two-pager, a space goose, goose gets caught by an alien with a space goose hat, who is in, in turn caught by an alien with a sexy lady being eaten by a tentacle bush glove. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. It's pretty good. Like, the only, if I had one complaint, is that the rules of threes means that this second guy should be eaten by something. But anyhow... Yes. It would have been even better if it yes. was just all in a snow globe or whatever. Just give me some. Absolutely. So the final story is uh, Kismet. Scripter about Chris Lauder is Jack Adrian. Uh, art robot Robin Smith. Letter about Tom Frame. Ton of setup in this story, Fox. <laughs> really? It's um, just, it's a, I would argue, 99% setup. Indeed. But basically, a badass assassin named John Fate arrives at Infinity Inc. for a job. They need more cool history to send people back in time to check out. So they're sending him to go back in time to, to, to make some. Because his last this name is, is this Fate. This is what happens with capitalism and time travel. Just oh, yeah. Late stage time travel capitalism here. Um, because his last name is Fate, they call the mission Kismet. He puts on a disguise and goes back in time, firing a rifle at just the right moment. Um, and he comes back. He's successful. Fate takes his money. And we see Infinity Inc.'s new time tour, The Death of Nelson. And it's funny because uh, Horatio Nelson, the Admiral's last words, were lo- for a long time said to be a uh, kismetardy. And that's what's ironic because that's the name of the mission. Um, mm-hmm. But actually, most historians now agree that it actually said "kiss me, Hardy." But dowdy Victorians weren't willing to process a couple heroic naval dudes having that kind of a relationship. So you know, lighten up, Victorian dudes. People gay in the past, bam, bam. <laughs> you know, it's great. Yeah, I've been watching Versailles. I know what's up. It's good times. And Fox, with that, man, oh, we are finished. The thrills. For Prague's three thirty to three thirty-three for August and September nineteen eighty-three. My my hands are in a big boy pose on my hips. I'm feeling very sure about the things I'm going to say about these comic books, Conrad. Very nice. So the question is, what were your top and bottom thrills? So first, I want to do a fucking nod of the head, tip of the hat 
to fucking future shocks and uh, time twisters. If there's something that I've said over and over again, it's that there are <laughs> there are a, a handful of criterions that I think are important for these, which are a incredibly short as possible, right? Two pages, one page, and you're still hilarious. That's great. The second is be funny, right? <laughs> or or surprising, I guess. And all three of them did that. I I liked it well enough. Nice, nice. Yeah. So just tip of the hat to those. But man, oh man, of course I'm gonna say slain. That shit's great. All right. I'm so I'm so into this setup. Like this world is a, a world I want to be a part of. Reading. I don't know if I want to actually be a part of it, but like from the, <laughs> the acid-induced nightmare that he can turn into to like owning a prison, and it's like it's. <laughs> uh, I I kind of see this as as the adventures of Ursa done with just a human dude with an axe. Oh, Ursa from Blackhawk. Awesome. Oh, fuck yeah, man. I mean, it's just real good. I'm getting excited. It's like, man, Skiz just ended. It's great. Oh, also tip of the hat to fucking Judge Dredgich. It was great. It was fucking great. Nice. And so what's, uh, what's bringing up the rear for you this week? Uh, Nothing was like especially horrible. Uh, but I am going to give it to, uh, you know, um, Robo Hunter again. It's like, it's Sorry. all right. Yeah. It, it was funny. Like, again, like, uh, you know, Stogie and Hoagie doing their thing uh, near the end was, was like, passable fun. But uh, I'm, I'm a little done with Robo Hunter now. It's like, let's, let's get something new in here. I hear that for sure. So, how about you, Conrad? It's your top and bottom. Um,. I mean, I guess I'll say RoboHunter's my bottom as well. Um, I actually did really like it, um, but I also really liked the Trader General story in Rogue Trooper. Um, that would sort of be, like, that would be my other option for bottom, I'd say. I just love when the Trader General shows up. Um, so, Ro- for, so, so, so RoboHunter's sort of in the bottom, although I do really love the hijinks with... Um, Hoagie and Stogie, you know, we're honestly mm. in a real good, in a real high level of stuff this week. So, like, yeah, those two are sort of towards the bottom, but they're still very much like B plus, like A minus, mm. like, like, like stories. And Future Shocks, there just weren't enough of them to really like to count, I'd say, this month. <laughs> oh, I didn't like Kismet very much, but whatever. Um, yeah, it was fine. But, um, uh, my tops, it's a real shootout between, like, I mean, Skiz sort of also just because there was just one of it. Um, I'm really, you know, I wish we could have finished it last week. Just not have that be one big yeah. um, final thing. Um, but still, love Skiz, love the ending. You know, some of them were stars gets me every time. Um, oh, it's so sweet. But there's not enough of it to be be a contender, really. So um, it's, it's slain in dread, and it's hard for me to choose. I love this early slain stuff; it's very fun. Mm. But I'm gonna give it to dread because I really love this requiem for a heavyweight story, Fox. Fuck yeah, um, man! It's real fun. It scares art real awesome. Just all these giant dudes eating stuff, and like <laughs> the idea of just this super fat um, competitive sport, and all these like jokes about like sports montages and stuff. Like you know, Rocky had just come out in '83, so this is very Rocky themed. Like. Um, Think about fatties eating a lot of food and stuff. And the, I just love the fatties in, in Judge Dredd in general. They're my one of my favorite parts of the of the world. There. Well, I think it, it, we've talked before about like off epic dreads, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like it's these little vignettes or uh, even one prog stories and stuff like that that like can be super charming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This 
more than most. Like, obviously, we just got through a badass one with werewolves in it. Like, right. it's really hitting its fucking stride in these in these in between epics. You no, know, we're really getting some real good, just kind of like five or six, um, like like four to six issue like dread stories that are very fun and just sort of do stuff in the world and have a lot of cool stuff. You know? Yeah, man, I'm really enjoying it. I, I think that's a solid pick. Absolutely. Hey, man, because I picked it. I know what I'm talking about. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> Don't forget to push your glasses uh, up the brow of your nose. Always. They're, I'm always pushing them up there. Anyhow, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, or the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com, on the 2080 forums, or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacespinner2k for everything else. Spacespinner2000, man, we'll be there. Uh, and then come back next Thursday as Fox once again takes an episode off and we welcome Steve Green, the co-director of Search Destroy, the Strong Team Dog fan film, and who did visual Ooh. effects on the Judge Minty fan film and the recently released Rogue Trooper fan film as well. Awesome. Um, Steve and I had a super gigantic, far-reaching conversation both about the 1984-2080 annual and his history with 2080 and making movies and stuff. This one's actually going to be a two-parter. We're going to put it out um, both this week and next week just to cover our whole conversation. It was like three hours Dude. long. It was crazy. I loved That's it. awesome. Real, real great in-depth stuff. Um, just talked about like... His process, the process he worked on for filming all three of the 2080 movies he's worked on. And then we just did the annual too. And there's a, you know, it's a big old annual as well. So super looking forward to putting it out. It's going to be real great. Um, but yeah. And then, uh, we'll be back next week. El coming and we're bringing hell with us, aka Nemesis the Warlock and oh. Strontium Goddamn Dog. So get Fuck. ready for that shit. Um, oh. <laughs> until, until then, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid Bro, I'm going to spooge on our next reading. <laughs>